it's just started on its own. That's that's it. Okay, I've got Sabrina here on the Rogue Therapy podcast. She's going to be joining me every now and again to unpick the crap that comes out of my head. But I need to introduce who Sabrina is. So Sabrina is a friend of mine, but she also happens to be one of the more brainy people that I know out in the world. You're just you're taking this like a champ over there. <laughs> just blushing. Just so Sabrina. You're Dr. Sabrina. Um, now, we've just had this conversation about your last name, and all I want to say is Ham, which is not your surname <laughs> at all. It's Glonka, right? Yes. And, um, and uh, so, yes, and anyone who is Polish will absolutely get what just went on there. And <laughs> another time I might share it, but Sabrina is a doctor of psychology and worked in the university system for over a decade. That's about right, isn't it? Teaching students. Yeah. And uh, now what you do is you're pretty much the rescue system for students that are struggling with uh, independently so they can get in contact with you on your website that are struggling with their assignments, their degrees, PhDs, masters. They can reach out to you, can't they? And you, you help them with tutor support. Yes, absolutely. So um, basically what I do now is the best part of what my academic job was, which is just focus on one-to-one stuff with students. And I know that students, no matter what level they are, what university they're at, what everybody needs more of really is contact time. And so that's what I'm here for. Just additional contact time, support, help, just demystifying the whole process. Yeah, and, and so, so you've been in this world for ages, and so you're really useful because I tend to talk to people every day about their stuff and notice what people are doing with their daily habits. And one of the big things that I've noticed recently is how people are using their mobile phones. And so I, I reached out to you and I was like, Sabrina, can we can we look at some of the research that's out there and can we maybe demystify what's going on because I, I had a, like a ton of questions afterwards I was after I was talking to people about things like sleep deprivation after using phones or or why they were relating more to their phones at home instead of inside the home and one of the big things that I picked up was I had a fit track on I haven't got it on today I'm like I'm like if it doesn't see what I don't know if the fit tracker doesn't know then I'll <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can quietly forget to do 10,000 steps no but what I noticed is if I picked up my phone first thing in the morning my steps immediately I lost 2,000 before and I was like am I just standing still and so it is are our phones influencing us into becoming less healthy and is it so subtle that we don't know because they're that's that's a minor change in the day but it would be a mega change over the course of a year, right? That's a lot of not moving. And that's actually quite a considerable difference in activity. And the fact that it was your tracker that cued you into it, Mm. even though that was a pretty substantial change, is kind of fascinating. Like what else might we be missing about how these devices change for up to putting it back on? I feel bad now. (laughs) This, This is it. So... Where, where, so I got in contact with you and I said, Sabrina, can you have a look at some of the research and can we have a little bit of a chat? And you sent me what you found. 
And so I really should let you sort of explain what type of psychology it is that you understand and what you've been doing and what you've been looking at before I even dive into this or everyone's just gonna be like who is this awesome person that Amanda's talking to so can you give us a bit of your background would that be okay yeah so I trained originally as a cognitive psychologist um, so I was interested in how people perceive the world and what I really looked at was kind of how people noticed similarities between things between peoples and objects and how those similarities influenced how they understood categories like this is a cat. What are the individuals in a category of cat? This, this is a is vehicle. So cool. <laughs> it's, it's so really, cool. It was really, really fun to get into that. But it, I really changed what I was up to along the way because I became interested in how we explain behavior. Yeah. Right. Which is a weird thing. Like, even though I'd been an academic for a long time, nobody ever talked to me about what made a good explanation or a bad explanation. <laughs> <laughs> what are we trying to do here? Um, so I kind of got into that. And I got into this philosophy of science stuff about the kind of explanations we use to explain human behavior. And I started down a path. Wow. Yeah, like looking at what kind of what kind of ideas do we use? Do we use things like memory and attention and these kind of like functional concepts to talk about what we're up to? Yeah, primarily. Those are like psychological ideas. But I was actually more interested in like the stuff, the building blocks of it, the arms and the legs that made yeah. a behavior, the actual yeah. environment that made a behavior. I wanted to know the bits and pieces and I wanted to build my explanations out of those things rather than the big functional concepts. And in, in psychology, the branch that does that is called ecological. Yeah, micro, right. Mm. So logical that, psychology that that could easily be confused, couldn't it? With because it's be, because it might be uh, referenced into the idea of the environment exactly. and, and then and not the human. So so I usually right. don't say to people, but that's, hi, I'm an ecological psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because and that's isn't it funny? Because what you're talking about is how we understand uh, scope of what we're seeing yeah. in our worlds yeah right and um and how we relate to that and how that influences our behavior if I've got that correct yeah exactly the environment and stuff like that the objects we interact with the people what's out there is much more important to this kind of psychology than it is to some more traditional kinds so yeah because like yeah phone use right in there for what an ecological psychologist would be interested in Excellent. So I've got the right person then. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's utterly mind-blowing. So one of the things that I tend to take a look at when someone comes in to hear are the habits that they're de defining and discussing and how they're using their language to, to work that out. So, and, and I'm looking for the thing that they may be unaware of and bringing attention to that because it's something that they're doing. I'm not introducing anything new. I'm not asking them to change, but I'm usually saying, have you noticed? And so one mm -hmm. of the big ones that comes up frequently is, is mobile phones. And it comes up in terms of the way that it shows up in my office is, is relational. So people are building a relationship with this thing that's made out of plastic and electrical stuff. And they're building a stronger relationship with that, but there's not really a person there. Mm. It's just the phone. 
and it's it's yeah. altering habits but what i what i came around to was how how have we become so how has it happened and and what is it that the the use of the what is it that the people that are designing the apps the people that are designing the bigger technology what is it they use and one of the things that i found out was that they were taking they were people that had got really successful in places like google or um app development some of them obviously had come through the the, the big institutions like harvard and stanford and uh, or bigger universities that we all know the names of and one of the things that I, they had a background in things like um mentalism or or magic and I, and I was just like, that's, yeah, like, why is it that somebody that can create an app is interested in deception? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, I was just like, what, what is, and what is it that's going on? Is it that they've, and that was where I was like, because in, in true, in magic, you're, you know, what the eye doesn't see, the hand is doing. And so, like, how is it that we're getting so involved in these apps and they're becoming like a facet and a feature of our physical being? So now people feel strange if they don't have their phone on them. And I'm like, is it literally becoming part of our neurology inside of that humongous, you yeah. know? It's, it, yeah. Like, yeah. It can do. So that's actually a really excellent point. So from the sort of ecological psychology thing, um, there's a related area called embodied cognition. And when you use right. tools, especially, I don't know, probably nobody's looked at a phone as an object specifically for this, but when you use tools like a hammer, like literally your system rearranges so that that hammer is now part of your body. It is really part of your body as far as your nervous Whoa. system is concerned. Oh literally a longer limb, well, I have, with a heavy bit on the end. Well, I, and that, you know, and that leads me straight and we're, we're not even in the papers yet, but that leads me straight to this thing that I was saying about how, I felt like over, I'm quite sensitive to how my memory works because of my history. So I, I do look at it a bit more. And one of the things that I noticed was that in the areas where I could not store physical data on my phone, photographically, my memory is really good. It's really good with the timelines, with the timestamps. And obviously anyone that understands how the memory works, you know, there's always a bias in there because it's always changing. It's never quite what happened, mm. but the, the recall is excellent. Now, when I've got my phone in play and I'm using that as almost like, like an example would be <clears throat> Facebook, <coughs> like would be that it's become this sort of um, journal for me because I write in there, I put a lot of pictures in there and my recall was getting messed up about my timelines because every now and again, they throw a memory up and so it's reappearing oh. within my world, right? But I also noticed that my recall isn't better. And I was like, have I unconsciously organized to having an external brain in my phone? And, and that right. would make sense because we, it, it's effortful to remember stuff. And yeah. you'll try to naturally offload. If there's, a, if there's an alternative, you're going to use it. So... Like now, if you think about attachment, people run into burning buildings for their memories, right? So what type of attachment is someone now building to their phone? 
did you get to that? I saw it blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. What <laughs> Right, but yeah. they ha- they've worked out the place where we're most sensitive in terms of attachment, like they what have. we would risk. To, they, to... Ping, they ping everything in the design to yeah. us wanting to pick up the device as much as possible. Let's whether talk about that. Want, Let's go down that. Like it. <laughs> yeah, and that yes. Oh my God, that was a paper, wasn't it? That, yeah. Please talk about that. Can you can you open that up for me? Can you expand yeah. that? I can try. It's okay. So this is getting a little bit into the actual sort of reward and motivation systems in the brain. Um, This is heavily sort of like a dopamine based system. So that's one of the neurotransmitters, one of the sort of chemical signaling uh, systems that are used in the brain. And there's dopamine receptors in, in various parts of our frontal lobe. So where we do sort of higher cognition and also in action related areas. So when you look at this system, you, you, you figure out the things that it's keyed onto and you can break it down into um, like wanting things uh liking things and learning things and all of and those three components can happen in weird ways so if i'm learning a new action i'm i'm trying to learn to i play a game on my phone okay there will be components of enjoyment and pleasure there potentially that's a liking component there can be a component of wanting in there that would be like, I want to win the game. I want to achieve the thing. I want to clear the board or whatever the game's about. Right. Those are wanting related things. Um, and then there's the learning. There's the hooking up our gotcha. actual behaviors based on how rewarding this game has been for us to play. Um, and okay. yeah, so that's the basic system. Um, when we're learning something, we're really keyed into wanting. What kind of rewards are we yes. getting? And that's in dopamine is big time helping us notice those like reward contingencies. What's the payoff here? Yeah. It's almost like a gambling kind of thing. What's the likelihood yeah. I'm going to get what I want out of this? And so we start. So it would be common, wouldn't it? For oh, sorry, it no, would be common no. for someone that had. It would be common for someone that was diving down a gambling route to have a dopamine potentially in some groups so uh i know of parkinson people that had parkinson's were prescribed l-dopa which is the chemical version of dopamine that they could take to help them and in some people like they they actually sued in the end because they ended up with like huge gambling problems um because it, it 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 stimulated a drive in the person so it wasn't the getting but it yep. was the, the the wanting to get, if that Absolutely. makes sense. Absolutely. And what, uh, again, with Parkinson's, it kind of illustrates another way those components break down. So people who are not receiving the Enough. for Parkinson's, um, even though they're, that's wanting system is still low yeah. and their voluntary actions aren't very successful because of the low dopamine, they can still like stuff. They yes. can enjoy it and can yeah. still feel pleasure. So you can get these things, you can get these really unfortunate situations where you compulsively want something. You want it, you want it, you want yeah. it. Initiating that behavior, but the joy and the pleasure is gone from it. Because the next step up of that, because we're talking about one neurotransmitter and the other ones that everyone know really well are um, oxytocin and so it's, um, mm-hmm. 
serotonin is that yeah, yeah. yeah okay and so but they're in a separate system which is more about bonding connection yeah and continuation so it was almost as it's almost as if we have dopamine to get us in the direction of those things but we're not meant to hang about there very long we're meant to develop yeah. and start using the other the, the yeah. other systems too much dopamine it's not like you get a lot of dopamine and you just feel great. Too much dopamine is associated with, um, with problems like schizophrenia and various types of psychoses. Because if you get a lot of dopamine in a system, um, you might start producing inappropriate actions. So yeah. it's go, go, go kind of thing. So you start doing riskier things. You start yeah. doing things when there's fewer rewards associated with them or less pleasure. Um, so yeah, absolutely. But it, habit, so but habitually for a person, this is what I was, I was wondering about these things is that they've learned that doing the riskier thing feels good initially, but they don't get the same reward afterwards, but they may try repeating that the behavior yeah to get the win to get the feels and yeah. so and so it it can work dopamine can actually work against itself in terms of human success right and it kind of depends and that's where you're okay is and that what i was thinking of is is that where we're sort of looking at the addictive behavior pathway like that cycle of behavior potentially yeah absolutely so a lot i mean with things like cocaine and amphetamine, when you talk about like that chemical addiction, those um, prevent dopamine from being reabsorbed into the system. Yeah, blockades, right. Right, so you get the flood of dopamine, which then kind of loosens that action system. There is a pleasure component. So even though dopamine isn't the same as feeling good, depending on what part of the brain it's acting in, it yeah. is strongly associated with that feeling of pleasure. Got so you. That, yeah. So that's what you get with those kind of narcotics. And then once you've built that relationship between the stimulus and response, you then get people repeating the behavior in the absence of anything rewarding. You know. So and, th and that's where we come back to like the mobile phone. So there is chemistry going on inside of the habit of reaching for the phone, opening the phone, scrolling with the phone, not necessarily getting a win or a laugh or a like, but so someone might not necessarily like that, but they've activated the system in the action. They might not have necessarily learned something, but, but what the, what companies now know. So there was another piece of research that I saw, I mentioned this before we started, which was um, around get like gaming companies know when they build a game that they need a 25% win rate inside the game, just in the action of the game to keep the player engaged. Mm -hmm. But what they also know, so the player learns to say, I uh, open a chest that if the win in there is big, they'll get that it will feel great. And I've learned if I open that type of chest, but every chest will have a sort of win in it, but it might not be the big win. So that that keeps engagement, but what they're on the hunt for every 25% or timing within the game or in a location is a bigger win. And I wondered if that was happening and it was always visible to see, you know, like in those Candy Crush games, never played one. So, the, like they know, like they were scrolling games that would show up in Facebook, 
Mm-hmm. And what I, this was a couple of years ago. And what I realized really quickly, I was looking at them. I was like, why? There's no physical outcome for playing that game whatsoever. You get nothing for doing it. Why does it exist? And then I realized I was watching someone tap and it reminded me of when I was behind a, a set of decks and how I was moving everything and how that felt. Mm. And I just was like, there, that's a conditioning game to have you interacting with your phone. That's all it's doing. It's collecting yeah. data and working out when the person stops playing. Yeah. And pinging you back. Yeah. And so that's it. I mean, WhatsApp, the WhatsApp double ding, ding, ding like <laughs> on the phone. It's there for a reason. Like we only rats and bells, Pavlov's dogs. We all <laughs> like it's all been done before. But this is a literal formula for the app development. So and this was yeah. one thing I learned when you asked if I could look into some of this stuff. I didn't know that there was a lab, a psychology lab. <laughs> that was unreal to find out. Wasn't oh my it? goodness. Where they have basically they just identified the formula that all apps use. You need you need motivation, you need a trigger, and you need ability. I and- couldn't believe that oh. when you I nearly I just like it was the most enormous rabbit hole. I was like I have to know about this. Is important to know this piece of information because billions of people are following this algorithm, like this this bit of like science. But what you were saying about like just training people to interact with the phone, like with Candy Crush and similar games, I think that so that would be kind of like the ability in the way we have the ability to achieve something by doing something on our phone by pressing some button. You just think of compared to like external physical systems, phones are so easy to do stuff to like the amount of energy I have to expend to send a photo like across the planet to mm. some stranger I don't know it like yeah. takes no effort for me to do that so when they're working out the motivation trigger and ability formulas they don't have to get people to do anything hard or complicated no it's different than trying to get people to exercise or trying to get people to quit smoking you just getting people to touch a screen yeah and and it's and how much of that <laughs> screen touching is 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 now such a facet of just being a human right now we didn't have it yeah. a, a, like 20 years ago and like what is it with our phones and i i was i just couldn't i was going through these you know the notes that you had compiled and then you just showed me this and i was like of course this exists and of course it came about at the same time like you had the Zuckerberg movement like coming. And then this guy was in Stanford at the same time, I think. I think so, yeah. And he, and he, and this, and then he came out with just this, I've got to read that book. I've got to read it now. It's funny, it's so basic. It's psychology has some things down really well in terms of behavior. And we do best probably sadly (laughs) at understanding how to persuade people and understanding how to advertise to people yeah it just it works great it's simple and brilliantly and deviously effective yeah and it it's because it was when I saw the chart it was to do with like like motivation was there were three things weren't there there was motivation 
Mm -hmm. Was it learning or reward? It was, what were the three things? For the formula, it was motivation, trigger, and ability. That's it. Motivation, trigger, and ability. Now, the trigger was, was what, that was the piece where I was like, what is that? What is the actual trigger? Some cue to make you think of whatever your motivating factor is. So the example right. that was given in, um, in the article that I sent to you, which was quite good, um, was that in Wired or Vice? I yeah, it was, it was Wired. And yeah, I'll put um, it in the show notes. That, yeah, because it, it was really, really good. It just went through the history of it. The example they gave for trigger was like, if you are, you say you're self-conscious about your photos online and the trigger might be that you'd been tagged in a post. So gotcha. all of you know there's this photo there for you. So it's any reminder of whatever a motivation might be for you. That's Maybe, right. So notifications yeah. would operate as triggers. Uh, and what do they do? They pour into our lives all the time now. Yeah. Is to, uh, to notify us. So one of the big things to do in terms of protecting yourself from that trigger from the mobile phone would be to limit your notifications. Absolutely. And to be as far away from it as possible. I mean, yeah. the evidence on how mobile phone use influences attention, it, there's a bit of contradictory results. I don't think because the science is contradictory, but just because it's so complicated. Like, what are you using as a task? What are you using as a reward? You know, but it does look like um, the, the phone use really does mess with our attentional systems. And even if you have, even if you're near your phone, it can be enough to cause problems when you're trying <gasps> to And that, that was one of, that was one of my that was one of my big questions for you wasn't it was that because I was it, initially I was I was wondering because of the the attentional system takes quite a lot of energy and if it's moving in all sorts of different places all day long that's different cues to it and yeah. one of my and one of my questions was because if motivation to, so say you've been busy all day you know you've got to get that training sit, session done at the end of the day but you've got the choice between that and starting to scroll on netflix or scroll on your phone the yeah. phone might motivate you quicker to do it and it, it will it will eat the time but what you're also using up are is that pathway which could yeah. be stimulated by exercise which would be a harder path to yes. for the person it's got more sort of barriers to it got to get into your kit got to find a training session got to get to the gym at, before you can even feel the benefit yeah. in terms of neurological feelings is what I'm talking about not yes. gains right <laughs> but like, and then yeah, and, so, and, and what I what I came around to god get there Amanda fuck's sake right is <laughs> Do we have a limited amount of dopamine during a day? And that's a complicated question. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> question. It does, dopamine varies with our daily circadian rhythms. Okay. So it does cycle throughout a day. Okay. But these are all sort of, um, these systems are always signaling to each other about a lack of or abundance of different chemicals right yeah so, you're not going to run out of dopamine in a day no that would be but bad you can, but you can bias yourself 
into kind of problematic ways of using your dopamine system. What a stupid way to say that. I'm trying to figure out a like clearer <laughs> way to say it. Basically, if something if is easier to do, you get hooked into wanting yeah. or liking. And yeah. if you get too hooked into wanting, wanting. Yeah. the dopamine system can functionally organize in a way so quick on the fly changes can organize in a way that gets you really paying more attention to negatives than to positives Ooh. and can be in almost a depressed state, less likely to initiate voluntary actions, that lower energy. So that's not a lack of dopamine in a sense, but it's your dopamine focusing too much on one kind of thing. And it gets- Oh my God. So basically if you get sucked down a rabbit hole on your phone and that is in the framework of wanting. Yeah. It could- this is very suggestive now, but there is the possibility that that person is going to have more difficulty in observing positive outcomes in their life. Yes. There's oh. a, theory, a new theory of depression, like just no. a few years old, based on this idea that that functional organization of dopamine in, where is it? The orbital something or other. Okay. Orbital frontal cortex, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's some. It's a. It's a frontal brain area associated with reward um, processing and stuff. Yeah. And that is the bit that gets changed, kind of on a task basis. What you're up to. Okay. So you're paying attention to, and you know how it goes. Like there's yeah. people who are always motivated by, I want to achieve this. I want to achieve this. I'm going to get this. Very. High, high functional. Yeah. Functional. Those are the wanting kind of people. Yeah. You get the pleasure sort of people. They're like, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. Ideally, you want to balance. But yeah. that's kind of the shift that happens. And when you're going to things that feel good and don't feel good, that liking system gets you to pay attention to positives. Yeah. The wanting system gets you paying attention to negatives. Uh, because, uh, because a lot of people use the negative loop to self-motivate. Um, so... Right. Yes. And so that's going to get reinforced. Oh, I didn't do that so well. Got to try again. Yeah. Because that's but, how you improve on the task. You pay attention to what went wrong. <laughs> what these don't do, though, is they don't teach, per, like, so all that it's activating is a need to be within the phone. And the difficulty, like you said, with the negative thinking is, or the negative, the, the, the cycle of motivating through negative talk almost or negative feelings mm -hmm. is if that starts to be reflected to you in a conscious way. So the app developers know that if we see things that don't make us necessarily feel good, we may purchase more, right? And so there is a manipulation that can go on. And so if someone's in that channel, they might start seeing their purchasing behaviors go up. Now, when we get something new or we buy something again, it's the wanting, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're going, they could potentially be going deeper and deeper into the hole. And what, what you and I want to see out in the world are balanced humans that are self-compassionate, understand themselves and can explain how they're feeling, what they're doing, so that they feel like they're in control. And I suspect when that sort of cascade happens, 
the person starts to de-identify from who they are because it won't they won't feel themselves mm. because their motivations will have shifted and changed and so will their attitudes and outlooks and that's we're kind of like in the zone of like this is a scenario it's not a real person that we're talking about mm-hmm. but we give these fucking things to our kids right how much self-control does a child have like your prefrontal cortex isn't developed until you're 21 and now you're putting in a factor that trains it right so like there should be some sort of awareness around this and where i was coming in at the beginning was that it they, they are becoming features in people's homes that are relatable on a human to human standard. So if a couple aren't getting on and both of them are looking at their Facebook as a place to interact instead of talking to one another, they're utilizing the relationship as a phone as a human outlet. Yes, that's where you're getting that satisfaction, that social. Yeah, and it's not it's not real. It's not real <laughs> at all. And the brain, I, this is the thing that I will stand by, is even though all this stuff is happening and all these chemical cascades are happening, we've been humans. As long as we've been humans, we know when we're not talking to a person. Yeah, there's a difference. There's a real difference. And until... I would love to know what goes on in a scanner. And it would I don't know if it would even be possible to even study whether a person knows when they're interacting with a phone versus a human in terms of like what goes on inside. Well, there's always, there's a, <laughs> a shorthand thing that um, we bat around and well, in my former lab, when we talk about if we expect brain differences, if you notice a difference as a human being in a scenario, there will be a difference. Like, right, gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, there has to be something different in the system. You're yeah. feeling, you're experiencing different. You notice the difference. Mm. Will there be overlap? Sure, because you're probably still using language. You're probably still, you're using similar concepts and tools, but it's not a person and you know it. No. It's so impoverished in terms of what you get back from a text message compared to an actual human being. Right, oh yeah, 100%. It's at the same time that there are these funny little nuances that go on. So I know about some research where like, I'm gonna put myself out of a job right now, but where people were talking to a computer screen, there was a bot that the computer screen had tech to be able to read the person's, facial cues now we all have about seven or eight that we all do across the globe and it doesn't matter where you come from and they're micro expressions and the the computer was reading the micro expressions to take to decide whether the person had depression or not Mm -hmm. and the computer did a better job (laughs) than the trained professionals in the study but there was a bias because when people were talking to a computer they don't necessarily feel judged. And this was one of the things that came out. So they were likely to be more honest in their, what they were saying. So when you do take out the human component, you also get different responses from the human on the other side. And is that, well, that's a great point because you get all of the sort of bullying behavior and things that can happen online oh don't what's the first thing people go well if that was face to face how often yeah 
totally. feel like they could rattle off a completely rude and inappropriate response to somebody else. Never. That's only and, an online phenomenon. And again, it's still stimulus from like, so one side's feeling utterly horrendous and it's disgusting that people do activate such awful behaviors when they are masked. But on the other side of the screen, there's a person that's typing and they're going to get a response. They might get. Mm -hmm. And what does that trigger? Yeah. That they are getting a hit of some sort of neurological outcome. More likely, it's going to be down the, um, the adrenaline pathway in terms of like the brain, because mm -hmm. you're in a fight, fight situation. And so the, it's stimulus that is, is happening. It's interesting though, you actually would still have oh, a dopamine component to it because it's, it is, it's, it's aggressive, yeah. but it's an approach. You're and it's learning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The physical act of a human approaching with, looks, wow. Yeah, looks like okay. Symptoms involved in approach aggression are different in the brain than the systems involved with defense aggression potentially oh yes. my god that's that's the next oh wow okay. <laughs> anyone that's listening right now if you've hung out with this this long well done but this is what happens when me and sabrina start talking is she'll drop a bomb on me and i'll just i'll be like oh my god what <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is one of those examples like so when people are angry they can be angry Different. Mm. Well, we all know people can be angry, so we can have passive anger approaches or very in-your-face anger approaches. Yeah. But yeah. there is something going on differently neurologically when someone yeah. is doing that regularly. Yes, because you have there's like a a spectrum on the wanting spectrum. What you kind of get is it, things could go wrong in two ways. You want a certain outcome to happen. You've done a thing. You expect an outcome. Yeah. You could either not get a punishment that you expect. So I'm a kid. I've acted out. I think my parents are going to yell at me. They don't yell at me. Absence of expected punishment. Or um, you could have the absence of an expected reward. So you did something that you expect to be rewarded for and you don't get that reward. <laughs> That's a hundred percent my problem all the time. <laughs> But I think it. online bullying, you get people who go on, I'm going to type my perfect diatribe explaining why my position is exactly correct. Yeah. You expect a reward. You feel great rattling off those responses. And then somebody comes back online and tells you you're a moron. You're a dick. <laughs> yeah. You don't know it. So like what now you're mad. But you're right. like active mad. You want finger typing mad. I hate you. Yeah. I'm gonna attack you. I'm gonna take apart. I'm gonna dehumanize you. I'm gonna be a total dick. Yeah. Oh god. Not me personally. I would never do that, but some people might, right? Like, like the big thing that this was all about is are the the, the mobile phone as it is without a connection to the internet it's just a little black box made of plastic right mm -hmm. but once we start giving it a part of our memory literally using it as a memory bank once we start personalizing it by storing photographs on it and 
Like how many pictures do people take a day right now? Like, what are we going to be doing that? We are now, what, what they have worked out, and I say they, and I'm generalizing, but what the companies have worked out is the second you make that a functional part of someone's daily habits, they, they, it becomes a part of them. And they have so many more opportunities to hook us now. Time, and time. Who needs to watch? Who no, needs to watch? You yeah. an excellent point. It's the maps. It's the walk. Yeah. Big it's things. Big it's things. Shopping. Big things. Yeah. Socialization. So the primary way that a person orientates themselves through their day, day in, day out, is how they understand time. Now, if your phone is doing it, it destabilizes your concept of how you organize yourself. Mm. it creates need yes no you're I'm sorry I'm just like you you're blowing my mind with just the number of things that are linked back to our phone just the collapsing of so many different spheres of life yeah now put into the tiny little and now like and now people are feeling shit because they're using it so much and they might be triggering they might have already had a pre um need to kind of be someone who was motivated that way they might not have learned but what other people might like if people are getting like dopamine like rich environments that aren't necessarily moving them into like bonding environments if you're so attached to your phone that your your main this is what's happened during covid i think is that people's and people are missing it the physical contact stimulates us. So hugging, actually, we have a receptor in our skin that notices when we're pressed for up to three seconds. It's not very deep, but that will send, as babies, when we were wrapped and encased, that sent a level of calm through a person. Mm -hmm. And so a hug is a very close greeting, but it also systemically sends a message up to a person. Yes, yes. A phone cannot do that. But what I do know is a close second is sending someone a physical picture of a hug taking place. Okay. Right? So, so if someone's feeling bad, I send them a hug happening, not the, the word hug. They actually mm-hmm. see it happening. It's not the same, but it... So there are great ways that we can use them, but when we start replacing the human factor in our lives through this, we beca- we enter into a, a type of lack, but it's not lack in the spiritual sense. Neurologically, we're in lack. Yes. And that, that changes the brain, literally yes. will change the chemistry of the brain, how it's formulating connections, how it's making sense of the world, how we are making sense of the world. And in therefore the person becomes altered, right? And I think the the key thing for me in terms of how how I personally feel about phones and how they work with our reward systems and neurology, like our systems are meant to be really good and really useful. They are tightly evolutionarily honed. Yeah. These are good systems, but they're meant to work on the basis of our goals or people, actual human beings who are close to us, either just socially or family-wise, their goals, right? But that's not what the phone use is about. And that's that. those are about companies' goals who want us to use the phones. Yeah. We feel like we use them for our goals, and to some extent we do, 
because we want to call people. We want to get the map to go to the place. We want to get the information. Yeah. But the primary goal, it's not about us. It's about somebody else. So it's co-opting the evolutionary yeah. system that we've got, but not because... I mean, just think about Google Maps. It's awesome when you go to another country. You've never been there before, but it is in, I mean, it's such a useful application. But we have this like primal thing inside of us. Now, I know how I operate by I orientate myself by where food places are. <laughs> right? So I'm like, oh, there's a five guys in Nottingham. I know how to get there from my house and I'm in Lincoln. Right. <laughs> But so when I'm making that journey to food, my brain's like, map that motherfucking shit, Amanda. I don't need the Google and I don't want it. It's a part of us. We're meant to ignite. Now, I get it. When you're in London, you want to find something really cool or you're somewhere where you don't know. But they what they've looked at is what does a person do with their brain on a daily basis that we can do better? But if you're not utilizing that part of yourself, use it or lose it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we really are changing the kind of cognitive activities we do on a daily basis. Yeah. So easy. Big time. Big time. Do I have to remember directions? Like hell, do I have to remember? No. No. The lady's That's... just going to tell me when to turn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of personable shit, isn't there? Like you've just said, you've got a woman's voice. So have I, actually. I never want to be told what to do by a guy. Like, like but like, I'm so sorry. That sounded awful, but it's just true. I picked out a woman's voice in my in my tom tom, and then um, when they were called that, and it's just, but they've humanized so many facets of this faith. If it sounded like, um, oh, was it the Stephen Hawking voice? I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't use it. And that's more pinging us in various ways. We like it more. It's we like really it more. making Siri tell jokes. They humanized it. Brilliant. I know, right? I know. So clever. But one, I mean, <clears throat> so what, what we, we have just meandered through this today. And like the outcomes are really like if you want to make sure that you're taking care of your your mental health your brain health like mm -hmm. from what we've seen in the research and how they've learned what we do you want to make sure you're balanced within your wanting learning yeah. stuff right yeah. and what, and one of the ways that i came across how to create big balance against my mobile phone was long goals. Okay. So, and I really noticed that my habits around my phone changed. So what happens with the phone is it's immediate reward. So it's the rat at the pedal, tapping the button, hoping something's gonna come out eventually. And what the games company knows is every 25 hits, if we <laughs> drop in that little Coke bomb, that little rat's gonna just keep You're hitting that pedal. Right, he's going to be happy. And then every now and again, we might drop him a raisin and he'll be like, it's not what I wanted, but I'm still going to be here. And that little rat's going to get some arm shoulder gains. Like yeah. I, was re I was reading the research and I was like, but you told me this thing, didn't you? Happy rats, sad rats and research. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is an important 
piece of information in regards to the phone, right? So can you can you just tell can you remember that? Can you tell me it again? I can't. So just because I love it. No, here's the gist um, of some research that was done quite a we all know the addiction research probably from just um, normal news reporting. You will have heard something about learning about addiction by um, testing substances on rats. So, you know, psychologists or neuroscientists would give rats the ability to use heroin and link it up to a button that they push, push a button, get heroin, push a button, get heroin or cocaine or what various ways to hype up rats. And um, we built a model of addiction based on that, which was very, very medicalized, which it should be. There's lots of obvious chemical dependencies that happen as a yeah. result of taking drugs. But um, what some people noticed about that research is that these rats, lab rats, have pretty weird lives. They don't get to socialize. They live in these weird little cages. They're just to do specific things all the time. They're usually kept to be fairly hungry, healthy enough, but fairly hungry because hungry rats are more motivated to do stuff. So that's not great. It's not no. a great life. So somebody was like, what if we make a nice rat little life we give rat environment why rat not they're working let's see happy rats right give rats something to do give rats a nice place to be give rats other rats to hang out with and they're what did we find oh they are they are much less likely now this is this has gone back and forth in the literature for a long time across the board there's conflicting amount of results like oh it's going to be a huge effect oh it's going to be a small effect but across the board there's less addictive behaviors and right. with good lives there you go across the board right they're less susceptible to the bullshit all right it's likely to try it they're less likely to get hooked on it even when they do get hooked on it they're faster to get off it okay a good life of course so your bigger environmental context Matters. It's going to affect smaller addictive behaviors or smaller habit-based behaviors that might not be so good. But what the phone companies have built by humanizing the phones in effect are small behavioral habits. So in, that's what I would say. They're small. They don't damage a person until like we will talk about porn at some point and what yeah. the literature says, um, because it's it's in a sim it's in a similar pathway but what happens to a person inside of like these sexualized draws it's all real it's if we're not talking about sex on a podcast then i don't think there's much point in having a podcast <laughs> especially when you're talking about people yeah. and um and that that's it was that I remember when you told me that about the rats i was like of course and thank god someone had the um the foresight to be like, let's look at what happens when so when a little rat is living in a stable environment and enjoys its life. Yes. Like, like, and surely that should be the predominant way that they are when they're testing. Because I know, I mean, and it's it can be reflected into humans, can't it? If a human is in a good, stable environment with great friends and socializing yeah. and has work and they feel purposeful, that if they do end up in a situation that isn't so great and it can happen to anybody, they can mobilize themselves out of that quicker. And what we were learning from the the rats that weren't, well, didn't have like the 
the better lifestyle, shall we say, mm-hmm. was that it was easier for them to find themselves in difficult situations and harder for them to get out yeah. of it. Because people, and that's, want, you, we want to feel good. Animals yeah. want to feel good. We, of course it does. So it, any, any animal is going to try to orient itself to rewarding aspects of life. Yes. Yeah. So you have to have options. If, you, if I'm just a rat in a cage, if somebody sticks me in a cage and gives me a lever with heroin on it and I have no prospect for leaving, I'm going to press yeah. that lever all damn day long. Yeah. Right. And like, this is like the reason that I thought that this talk in particular was of use right now is because we have become the rats in the box and we have our outlets have been minimized to social media or taking a walk and yeah. there has or not social media but online we've been interacting through our in our worlds through screens and we've had our physical contact cut down and how much time how much more time have people spent on devices yeah. through this last year and what has that done neurologically and what's that done? I mean we've had our kids put on to devices as a form of education and so it's I'm not anti this stuff I think it's important to know what, what the outcomes are so you can make informed decisions about how you interact with it and don't just think oh this is awesome I can get pizza at 10 p.m and it will be at my door yeah. you know yeah. like, just be mindful of it it gives you the control yeah. right into how you want it to impact your life because I, I I have benefited from things like Facebook a lot of my business a lot of I've made money on there so I'm not I'm not anti it but I'm anti how I, I spend my life looking at what humans are doing to themselves and how they can improve their lives. I'm a hypnotist, but what I'm really getting into is how someone talks about what they're doing in the world mm-hmm. and then bringing focus to where the problem, they may be able to discover where they need to change, yes. right? Yeah. And so, but you're at, you're at the, the other end where you're looking at all the studies and all the data. So I'm coming in with this human piece and working with people directly. And you're coming in with this physical piece of like, look, this is what we're learning. And we're kind of bridging at the middle yeah. and saying, look what's going on. And then on top of that, you've, you're now like, God love you. You're one of my favorite people in the entire world. Like the work that you're doing now with students is so, I think it's so important, especially as like distance learning is coming and kids have been drawn out of the education system and they're in their, they're, they're little rats in the boxes and they want to succeed and you're out in the world. Like if you are somebody that um, is struggling with your masters or your PhD or your degree, track down Sabrina. What's your website, Sabrina? Um, uh, it's it's uh, past your degree. <laughs> Is <laughs> That's it? What it says on the tent. Sabrina, past your degree. Sabrina Golka. You can find her on Facebook. You can find her through me. Um, she's someone to reach out to. She's going to be on this podcast a lot. Like, I need some brains in here, or I'm just going to run around on my little hamster wheel, working out what's going on. And uh, yeah, today's been awesome. I think. If nothing, we've opened up conversations for other people to be thinking about this stuff. And, and it's fun. Everyone gets sick of hearing from me, I think. So it's, it's great to bring someone else in. Well, it's so, really great. Thank you for letting, like, letting me participate in this because the academic side needs more from the clinical side. Like all of you know what such a variety of people might have experienced or might be going through 
to a much greater extent than anybody designing these dopamine studies. Gino, so the assumptions yeah. scientists have need to be informed by- well, People are like the most fascinating and curious things. And like, I, I, I literally sit in this world helping people enjoy their lives that like when they've stopped enjoying their lives and that's that's what I help them achieve so I'm going to say bye to you now you're going to be back hopefully we're going to find some other stuff if people come up with other things that they're like ah oh, can Amanda and Sabrina talk about this then you know we'll do it we'll do it so send if you are curious about something or habits or you want to stop something or you want to just know what the research is around a particular area in your life ask us and we will take a dive in Absolutely. it doesn't mean you'll learn anything <laughs> but we'll do it we'll do it okay all right all right okay awesome i'll see you on the flip sides okay all right see ya Bye.